Well, good morning, church. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Good to see, good to see Savannah back from college for a week. I'm sure it's a good break and have her guests with us. We appreciate you being here. Appreciate everybody being here. It's good to see the family of God, people of God. We're in Matthew chapter 20 today. We're actually going to begin in verse 19. Um, kind of we're going to go back one verse. Matthew uh, Matthew uh, 19, we're going to take the last verse of 19, 30, and go through 20, 16. And the title of the message today is Lavish and Extensive Grace. Lavish and Extensive Grace. The scripture says, But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to our laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing in the same marketplace. And to them he said, You go into the vineyard too. Whatever is right, I'll give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing, and he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when they hired and when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, The last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this if I I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. We live in a world where we compare ourselves with others often. We might be making a good living, very comfortable, without any real needs. However, we look at someone else, and they seemingly have a little more than we do. And sometimes we feel cheated, right? Or we compare ourselves with others who have the same kind of job, same kind of profession, basically do the same thing, and they're being paid more and they have better hours and benefits than we do, and we become envious. I read this week about a a basketball player, Buddy Hild. He's a shooting guard for the Sacramento Kings. He told reporters this week following the final, well, maybe it was last week, following the final uh, King's preseason game, that he felt the front office's most recent offer of four years and $90 million was an insult. Why? 
because there are shooting guards making 30 to 40 million dollars a year instead of the 22 and a half million that he would make. And most of us might say, please insult me like that, right? <laughs> However, often we're just like that. You know, we, we can't relate to professional basketball players, but we look at, at people who, who are like us, who have jobs like us, and we compare ourselves with them. See, what we don't realize, if we just look at history, we just look at, at history, most of us here today have more wealth, more possessions, more leisure, more comfort than the rich, richest people of previous generations. If we look at ourselves as just average Americans, or even maybe below average Americans, and we compare our wealth to most of the population in the world, we are very well off. But we don't often tend to look at those who have less than us. We tend to look at those who have more than us, and oftentimes we feel cheated. Comparisons is a deadly practice that robs us of the commitment, that the contentment. Com- comparison is a deadly practice that robs us of the contentment that God desires for each of us to have in our lives. Paul said, godliness with contentment is great gain. And God desires for us to be contented with what we have. Now in Matthew 19... We saw the rich young ruler come to Jesus and say, and, uh, and he, uh, Jesus told him if he really wanted life that was true life, he should sell all he had and follow Jesus. But this man was too attached to his money and possessions, and he went away sorrowful, and he chose his riches over Jesus. Really, a really bad bargain, right? Peter started thinking about this, and we talked about this last week, and he said, Lord, we've done exactly what you asked this guy to do. We've left everything to follow you. What's in it for us? Last week, we talked a little bit about the Lord's answer to them. It's kind of a two-part answer. The first part of the answer in the last part of Matthew 19 is that there's a lot in it for you. There's a lot in it for you. There is truly much in it for you. And we looked at that last week. Now, but in Matthew 19.30 through uh, verse 16 of chapter 20, there's a second part of the answer. Because Peter's question was kind of a mercenary spirit kind of question where he was comparing himself with others. And so Jesus gently rebuked Peter in the story we find in the parable we find in chapter 20. Jesus sensed in Peter uh, and others a kind of comparing and mercenary spirit, and he doesn't want that to be a part of the lives of those who follow him. And so we find this very strange parable. You've got to admit this is one of the strangest of all the parables of Jesus in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out looking for laborers to work in his vineyard. He went to the marketplace early in the morning. The marketplace was basically the job center. And, uh, and there would be laborers there who would be gathered waiting for someone to hire him. He went out early, probably before 6 a.m. And he offered these early risers, these uh, motivated men, 
uh, a denarius, the daily wage of a Roman soldier, a very generous kind of wage to work in his vineyard. And these early risers agreed. And they went and they started to work. Uh, They would work a full day and it'd be a long, hard day. It'd be about 12 hours, 6 a.m., probably to about 6 p.m. in his vineyard. Well, three hours later at 9 a.m., the third hour of the day, the scripture says, the owner again went to the marketplace uh, to look for laborers for his vineyard. And he sat and he found some standing idle in the marketplace. And he says, you go to work. I'll pay you whatever is right. No contract, just go to work, I'll pay you whatever is right. He promised no fixed wages. And so they got to go to work in his vineyard. He again does this at the sixth hour, which would be about noon. And also at the ninth hour would be about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And then we enter what we would call the twilight zone. He goes at the eleventh hour... 5 p.m. And he finds some standing idle in the marketplace. And he says, why have you been standing here all day? They said, no one has hired us. And in spite of that kind of lame excuse to to a guy who had been out there five times, he invites them to go to work in his vineyard without the promise even of any kind of pay. And they go. At 6 p.m., around 6 p.m., the owner called the foreman, told him to pay the laborers, beginning with the ones who were hired last. Those last workers who worked one hour were paid one denarius, a full day's wage for working one hour. In fact, all the laborers that came received a full day's pay, even though most of them did not work a full day. Well, when the workers who were hired at 6 a.m. came and they saw that the others had been paid a full day's wage, they thought they might receive more. But just like all the others, they were only paid one denarius, what they had agreed upon from the very beginning. And they began to grumble. Maybe I grumble too. Maybe you grumble too. Uh, they said the workers who had only worked one hour had been paid as much as them, and they'd worked all day, and they'd worked in the scorching heat that that has the idea of the wind that blows off the desert, the hot wind that blew across Israel, the scorching heat. They complained because they compared themselves (coughs) with others, and they said that the owner had made the last workers equal with them. As Craig Blomberg says, little seems more unequal than equal treatment of unequals. Well, the owner addressed them as they grumbled. And he may be speaking to their spokesman, maybe the the union boss here. He says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me to work uh, for the generous wage of a denarius? Take what you agreed to, what belongs to you, and go. The owner says, I have the right to do with what belongs to me, whatever I want to do. And if I want to be generous with what belongs to me, I can do that. He was not in any way doing them wrong. He lived up completely to his agreement to pay them a generous wage. But because they compared themselves with others 
whom that whom they thought had not sacrificed, had not worked as hard, they thought they should be treated better. It was a deadly comparison that caused them to be angry. You know, if they would have been paid first, they would have got their money and left. They wouldn't have seen what everybody else got. And they would have been happy. But it's when they compared themselves and witnessed the owner's generosity to all the others that they became angry and dissatisfied. And then Jesus closes his story just as he opened it. By saying the last will be first and the first will be last. And it's, it's a little opposite. In verse 30 he says the first will be last and the last first. In verse 16 he says the last will be first and the first last. But it's basically the same thing. And he told them that God's going to treat all of us well. But not all of us are going to think it's well. Now Jesus... This is a strange parable, you got to admit. You know, I don't think Jesus is trying to give us instructions how to run a business here. Just try it. I don't think it's going to work very well. But I think Jesus is telling us this story to, to help us to be careful about comparing ourselves with others and comparing the blessings we have with the blessings of others. When you compare yourself with others, your blessings, when you compare your service to God with the service of others, uh, you are in danger. You are on very shaky and dangerous ground. Why is this true? It's true because of this eternal truth that God deals with us, each of us, from His grace, and His grace toward us is always lavish and extensive. God treats each of us, He deals each of us from His grace, and His grace toward us is always lavish and extensive. Now, we need to understand that. God always deals with us, His children, in His grace. If you think God owes you anything, you are mistaken. You are mistaken. If you don't want God to deal with you in His grace, but give you what you deserve, you're going to regret that choice No, I don't want what I deserve. I want God to deal with me in in grace. You see, God deals with us according to His great love. He deals with us according to His grace. And sometimes we think some people get more grace than others, but that's really not true either. God always deals with us with lavish and extensive grace. Now look at some truths from this passage of Scripture we need to see this morning. The first one that I think we need to see is God the Father Himself. God the Father Himself calls us in love to work in His vineyard. God the Father Himself calls us in love to work in His vineyard. Now look at the employee employer in this vineyard. It's not your typical employer, is it? He goes and he searches for work uh, for workers. But his is focus is not so much on getting the task done, although that's a part of it, but his focus is on providing employment to these workers who need employment. He's a very generous uh, employer, and he goes searching to find people who need work. The marketplace, I said, was the job center, and unskilled laborers would go there morning and hope someone would hire them for the day, 
Because most of them needed the money they would make that day to feed their families that night. They lived from day to day. When Jesus talks about praying for your daily bread, that was a reality in the world that they lived in. In the Old Testament, it often talks about pay your labor, pay the workers that work for you daily, because they need that money to to feed their families at night. Well, these people were going out there to find jobs and hope that someone would hire them for the day. And, uh, and the parable tells us that the owner goes to the job center, the marketplace, to hire workers. Now, he didn't have to go. This, this guy was not a poor guy. He probably had, he had a foreman, we know. He could have sent someone else to uh, hire laborers. But instead, he goes out and he looks for workers. He's concerned about workers. Uh, he's concerned about the needs of the unemployed. And so he goes out himself. This is an unusual owner. And not only does he do it once, he goes again and again and again, calling workers to come to work in his vineyard. Now the owner represents God. Vineyard was a, was a, uh, the vineyard was kind of a, an Old Testament uh, image of the people of Israel also. And here it's, it's an image of the kingdom of God. Uh, the owner represents God the Father. God's a searching God. He's calling us to himself to work in his vineyard, his harvest field. He's been searching for us from the beginning of time. God went searching for Adam and Eve. They didn't go looking for God, did they? They hid from God. God went and he called Adam, where are you? As he searched for them. When Adam sinned, God went looking for him. God God went to Noah. God called Abraham and went to Abraham. God went to Moses uh, and to Rahab and to Ruth. God God sent his prophet to a sinning David to call him back to himself. After he committed this great sin that he committed. This is the great searching God of the Bible. And this is the God who is searching for us today. For you if you don't know him. He loves you. And he's searching for you. And he's looking for you. And he does it himself. You know, God does not call you through angels, but God the Holy Spirit comes to us and He convicts us of sin and righteousness of judgment and He calls us to believe and come to work in His vineyard. You know, people often talk about the God of the Old Testament's vengeful and different than the God of the New Testament, but they're not reading the Scripture close enough. God is a searching God from Genesis to Revelation calling people to believe, to come to Him, to believe in Him, to receive forgiveness, to work in His vineyard. I love that old hymn. Uh, We had a hymn sing a few weeks ago. That was really great. We're going to do that soon again. But I love the old hymn, Softly and Tenderly. Softly and Tenderly. Jesus is calling. Calling for you and for me. See on the portals, He's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home. Come home, ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies? Mercies for you and for me. Time is now fleeting. The moments are passing. Passing 
from you and from me. Shadows are gathering. Deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Come home. Come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home. You see, we live it, we, 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 we serve a loving and a searching God. And we are to be loving and searching people to call those who do not know Him to Him. See, God is, God is searching for you. He's loving you. When did you come to faith? You didn't come to faith because you just decided one day. You came to faith because God came looking for you. He sent people to witness to you. His Holy Spirit came to you and, 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 and wooed you to believe and put your trust and faith in Jesus and to stop living for yourself and to start living for Him. God's a searching God. He calls us in love to work in His vineyard. There's another principle I want to see from this parable today. God offers us the privilege to work in His vineyard. Now the master comes to give people the chance to work in the vineyard. They are not guaranteed a job. They live from day to day. But this generous master hires them and promises them a generous wage. It's a great privilege to work in this master's vineyard. You see, God calls us to work in his vineyard, in his harvest. We don't work for our salvation. That's not what it's saying here. It's a gracious gift to whoever will believe and receive him. But his call to salvation is a call to join him in mission. It is a call to be on mission with him and to join him in what he's doing in the world. The mission of reconciling the world to himself. You see, God doesn't just save us so that we won't go to hell. God saves us so that we might know him and love him and be on mission with him and serve him. Uh, We have the privilege of joining him in the mission of reconciling the world to himself. And it's a great privilege to be a part of that mission. Sometimes we treat the call of God like it's like it's hard service and and uh, and drudgery. But and and the truth is, sometimes it is hard to serve the Lord. It's hard and toil sometimes is involved, but it's a great privilege to serve the Lord. It's a great privilege to serve the Lord. If you were gifted enough to be a professional basketball or baseball player, you'd realize that's a lot of hard work. You know, we talk about paying college athletes these days. If you know what it's like to be an athlete in college and what is required of you, you're working pretty hard for that scholarship. But you still, it's still a scholarship, right? It's still a privilege to be able to do that kind of thing. And it's always a privilege to, to work in God's vineyard, to be on mission with Him. What else would you want out of life? What higher thing is there than, than joining God in what He is doing in the world? I want you also to notice that whenever the master calls to you to work in his vineyard, it's not too late. It's not too late to come. Sometimes God calls in the dawn of life as a child. Sometimes he calls in the mid-morning of life as a teenager or a young adult. Sometimes at noon in the, in the middle age of your life, God might call you at 3 p.m. as a senior citizen. Or maybe even at the very verge of death, God calls you like he called the thief on the cross and the thief on the cross who believed. You see, whenever God calls you, 
Don't turn down the privilege of answering His call and serving Him. There's no greater thing in life than answering the call of God and believing in Jesus, receiving salvation, and then living for Him. You see, God offers us the privilege of working in His vineyard. Something else I want you to see. God always gives us more than we deserve. God always gives us more than we deserve. Well, the workers were called to receive pay. They started with the last ones uh, hired, and then they, then they worked back toward the ones that were hired first. There was such a thing as a one-twelfth of a denarii. He could have paid those who worked last one-twelfth of a denarii. Uh, but all were given a denarii, a denarius. All the workers worked without contract except the very first ones and all trusted the owner to be fair. Now, the owner wasn't fair. The owner was generous. The owner was lavishly generous. When you answer the call of the Lord, he's always going to do more than you can think or ask or imagine. His blessings are beyond measure. His blessings are beyond measure. You see, when you, when you look at the rich young ruler that we looked at last week, how sad is that? That that guy would trade, trade his stuff and his money for Jesus. He'd rather have those things than Jesus. You know, if you trade, you know, you look at Bill Gates or some rich guy, they got everything, but would you trade them for knowing Jesus? You'd be a fool. Because knowing Jesus is worth whatever it cost him. Whatever it costs, God always gives us more than we deserve. His blessings are beyond measure. Now, there, there are times it's difficult, but I'm telling you, those times don't last. I love what Paul says as he quotes from Isaiah in 1 Corinthians 2. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God prepared for those who love him. Wow. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. You see, He gave all the workers a denarius. He lavishly gave them denarius. In some ways, the denarius represents eternal life in some ways. Because when you answer the call to work in the vineyard and believe and receive Jesus, you don't just receive part of eternal life. You receive all of it, right? You receive eternal life. You don't just get part of Jesus. You get all of Him. Whenever you answer His call and receive Him and receive the gift of salvation and go on mission with Him. God always gives us more than we deserve. But there's one final thing I want to point out here, and that's this. When we compare our service or blessings with others, we will not be satisfied. When we compare our service or blessings with others, we will never be satisfied. Now, the first workers that were hired were disappointed when they were paid. Because they got exactly what they agreed to get in the morning, right? All the workers were paid the same. They all had the same privilege of working in the vineyard as the others. They all received the denarius. That's a very generous wage. It's the wage of a Roman soldier that was promised to them. These first workers did. But when they compared themselves to others, they were dissatisfied. They felt somehow the owner was unfair to them. 
Why? Because they compared themselves with others. They were the only ones who worked with the contract. The contract was generously fulfilled. But the comparison robbed them of the joy that they should have had. Now, who are these people, you know? You know, some people think they're lost people. Well, you know, if you're, you can't work for your salvation, of course. We all know that, right? It's a gift of God. But, but I think in the context Jesus said the kingdom of heaven's like this, I think he's talking to believers. I think he's talking to you and I. And he's talking to us about comparing ourselves with others. Jesus seems to be telling us the kingdom of God's like, and he's answering Peter and the other apostles' questions about what's in it for them. There's a problem with the question in itself. When you as a believer only do what you do for God, for what's in it for you, you're not going to be satisfied. When you serve God as a believer for what's in it for you, you're not going to be satisfied because it's not about you. It's not about you. If you only serve God, what you can get out of it, if you only come to worship wanting to get instead of give, if you never do anything without first seeing if it profits you, you're never going to be satisfied. When you presume upon God and thinks He owes you something, you're going to lose the joy that you are supposed to have as a believer. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. Comparisons are deadly. Comparisons, we usually compare ourselves with people who have less, uh, who, who have more than us. And we wonder why they are more blessed than us. Why don't we compare ourselves with those who have, who have far less than us? Why don't we compare ourselves with those, instead of comparing ourselves and our Christian service to those who, who have not sacrificed as much, why don't we think about those who have sacrificed greatly? You see, our brothers and sisters around the world are sacrificing for the gospel. Some of them are in prison. Some of them have been martyred. Uh, some of them have lost jobs. And, and, uh, and, and, and they've sacrificed greatly. But we tend to compare ourselves with those who we think have done less. Peter was good at comparing himself, wasn't he? He, he said, after the rich young ruler, We've done all this, Lord, what's in it for us? Remember also Peter compared himself on the night Jesus was betrayed to his fellow apostles. Jesus said, you'll all betray me. Peter said, Lord, even if everybody else does, I won't. Even if all these other fellows do, I won't. What happened on that night? He denied him three times, right? You see, God doesn't owe us anything no matter how long we've served Him. Comparisons are deadly. They're deadly and they will rob us of contentment and joy. You see, if it seems you are, you are blessed more than others, it's not because somehow you deserve it. Or if you struggle, if there's tragedy and illness and you look at other Christians and say, why don't things like that happen to them? It doesn't mean God is punishing you. His plan for each of us is unique. And His plan for each of us is always good. And His goodness and His grace to us is always more than we deserve. 
You see, in some ways, his plan is a puzzle, isn't it? He's putting together what things in our life and through us that we can't see the big picture of. But he knows what he's doing. And it's always good and it's always gracious. You see, his design is different for each of us. His design for some is prominence. For others, it's obscurity. For some, it's, it's a life of much suffering. For others, very little suffering. For some, it's a, it's a life of frantic kind of activity. And for others, it's almost a life of monotony. And we have to say, Lord, whatever you call me to, I'll do. I remember, you know, about 10 or 15 years into being a pastor. Um, and I was, I was, you know, pastoring churches like this. Smaller churches, not, you know. And I tell you, when I first thought, that, when I first said, Lord, I'll, I, I want to preach... I imagine myself to being preaching to thousands every week. I mean, that's just the way I imagine myself. I, I don't think there's anything wrong necessarily with that, but that's the way I imagine myself. But then about t- 10, 15 years, and I'm a full-time pastor and supporting little kids, and, and, it's, and, I, and I'm not pastor of, you know, mega church of Los Angeles or something. I remember one day journaling and saying, Lord, whatever you call me to, if it's, if it's just to serve in smaller places and in smaller venues for the rest of my life, I'll serve you there because I know that's what you want me to do. And I kind of had to come to that. I kind of had to deny the Bob Ray preaching ambitions. And I, and I said, Lord, whatever it is, even if, it's, even if nobody knows my name, Lord, if I'm where you want me to be serving you, you're going to graciously and lavishly pour out your grace on me. You see, we've got to be faithful whatever he calls us to do. We, we want to think we could be a faithful martyr, but can we be faithful in the mundane and routine tasks that God has called us to do where we are right now? Joy and contentment in life come when we rejoice in the unique plan of God and we don't compare ourselves with others and what God has for them. Yes, there is much in it for for us when we follow and know Jesus. Following Jesus is following the greatest one who ever lived. He's following the treasure that's above all treasures. But really it's not about what's in it for us. We follow Jesus because the gracious and pursuing God saved us and he called us to the privilege of working with him and carrying out his message of reconciliation, his mission of reconciliation. This pursuing God always gives us more than we ask, think, or imagine. So we need to not compare ourselves with others who we might think give less or serve less or haven't served as long. We need to... We need to to just rest and live in the lavish and extensive grace of God. 
God deals with us, each of us from grace, and His grace toward us is always lavish and extensive. Have you experienced His grace? Have you given your life to Christ? I'm telling you, there's nothing, there's nothing that you could do. I'm not telling you it's an easy life. I'm not telling you people won't, won't, will always like you. Because some of them will not like you because you're a follower of Jesus. I'm not telling you it's easy and the road is not narrow. But I'm telling you, it's the only road. It's the only way. Following Jesus is the only life that matters in the end. And if you haven't begun to follow him, begin to follow him today. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, that, that your grace toward us is extensive and lavish. Thank you that we don't have to compare ourselves with others because we know that your plan for us is good. Lord, help us not to look at others and their blessings. Help us not to look at others and think somehow that we should have more. Help us just to be content in what you give us. And help us, Father, when we are discontent, not to look at others, but to look that we might know you and love you better, that we might walk with you more closely. Do this in our lives. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.